Welcome to another podcast of BibleTruthOnline.com. We're going to continue in Hebrews um, chapter 12. We'll go back to verse 35 of chapter 11 just to recap and put chapter 12 back in context. Verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, having attained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Okay, we'll move on to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, I'm going to go over a couple things here, and I'm using an NIV version, so the verses will be slightly different. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is the scene from the, from the Mount of Transfiguration when all these martyred people all are coming back at the end of time. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Those people that are coming back, what don't they have that hinders them? What doesn't hinder them anymore is the body. The body is gone. What's coming back is the soul and the spirit. The sin that's so easily entangles us here is all connected with the body it has nothing to do with that soul and the spirit let us run with perseverance that race marked out for us the race that's marked out for us us reborn christians has nothing to do with the body it's now the soul and the spirit moving on so being good doing this right all the things that the physical body can do this has got nothing to do with our race we have the testimony of the apostles in all through hundreds of years since Jesus Christ's time of people who have lived lives of faith. We have that great multitude of witnesses that did lay aside every weight. And we're going to have that. This is something, as a Christian uh, living a life of faith, here's a statement right there, there will be weights, there will be trials, and there will be sin. That You're saved. You've given your life over to Christ. You've accepted him as kinsman. You've had the water baptism, the fire baptism. You're still going to have sin because you have a body. That race is a race of time. Your body will die. One day you'll be dead. So as we are running this race with Jesus, and you'll see in the next verse, as the author and finisher of our faith, we're living here to get a relationship with him, to build our faith. This race will end because you will die. Now he's in the verse 2. Mm -hmm. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured on the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we, when we put our eyes on Jesus, we're looking at what he did. He came down. He took our place for this. He died. 
Remember, God is spirit. Jesus came down as spirit to become kin to man so that a man of the flesh could move on and become kin into the spirit. This is where the soul chooses the spirit to move on. Therefore, as this world, this physical world, put its shame on Jesus, Jesus took all that shame so that as he moved up to the right hand of God, we can move up there as well. Mm -hmm. It's comforting to know that Jesus is the author and finisher. An author writes a story. The story is you, your life what's going to happen in your faith, walking with him. And he finishes it for you. That's comforting because it one day will be finished. And he's the one that's guided you, walked with you. He started the story, and he's going to finish the story. Right. Your job is the middle part of the book. Right. Okay, everything else is done. It's just going along with the story. And this, you know, comments that God uh, doesn't love us, well, the, the Son was sent to die for us. And that verse, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he endured great sufferings and trials for us. That's love. That's mm, giving a, a God perspective on it. Joy yeah. is a very interesting word. Right. Because if you go through what Jesus went through, um, through the Gospels, joy was not an emotion he felt by any means. But looking back on it from a God perspective, oh yeah. Well when you do that John 3.16 verse, it says, For God so loved the world, and God made Adam and Eve, and had a plan for them. Okay? And they started off, and they broke that plan. There's Cain, Abel, and Seth. He had a plan for them. They broke that plan. And the farther and farther you get out of the world, understand that God loves the world, and you may not be following the plan. No man has. So it's his plan. It's his love of the world. Not necessarily what your love is. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become wary and discouraged in your souls. It's a nice statement here. It's, it's true in our lives. I've encountered, I think everyone in this room has, the Son endured his hostility from sinners who are condemned to hell. He had to go through that. He didn't kill them. He didn't send them off to hell right away. He understood what the story was to pay the price. To pay the price for all sin of the world, he had to die. He endured that for us. We're going to go through such trials of this world. This is not our world. We have our eyes set on heaven, which is the true heaven, true earth, living with him. What do you think you're going to endure? The Son of God endured hostility from sinners. You will too. And it's normal that there are times in your life of trials. I know I've just recently gone through one. We are worried and discouraged. Well, it's not like that. When it talks about, in the NIV, it talks about you endured such opposition from sinful men. Remember, before you came to Christ, you were one of these. Now, how many Christians did you, oh my God, what's wrong with this person? Yeah. How many times did you do that to somebody? None of us woke up one day saying we're Christian. We were like those people. Right. And we caused that same, you know, what, before we learned, Jesus said he killed all of us? Yeah. Yeah, the right to. Yeah, we, have, we should hang for our sins. We should pay the price. But someone's paid it for us, you know. That so have the consideration and love for your brother 
who you were once like, you can't condemn them or judge them. It puts you in your place. Mm-hmm. That and our Savior endured so much worse. Right. And that's that's a that's a big humbling point too yeah. for that a lot of people need to to look at. Cause yeah, you'll be wary, you'll be discouraged. Right. You're not gonna get beaten by whips and There's hung trials. on a cross. There's trials. There's trials. You know, it's our stories, and it'll be our story. Uh, just like the other people that we know that strong believers in, in faith, life isn't a bowl of cherries. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. The NIV has it put a different way. In your struggle against sin, you have not re- yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, Jesus came down here and shed his blood for you. You should be shedding your blood. Right. But you didn't have to because of what he did. Mm-hmm. So if you're put to a test, you're not put to the test of justice because justice says you would die. Continuing verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Which this is supposedly taken out of Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, um, but it doesn't seem to be an well, exact translation. It's a problem here. I don't have the Septuagint. I can tell you that you should be able to go to Proverbs chapter 3, 11, and 12, and if it's italicized, that should be the exact verses you're reading in Proverbs, and it is not, because the last um, line of verse 6, and scourges every son whom he receives is not in Proverbs chapter 3, 11, and 12. Interesting point. Someone's added this on some sort of theological point that's wrong. And we're going to explain um, something real quick here. I don't have a problem with the word chastening. Okay? I do have a problem. We have a problem with the word scourge. Scourge. Now in chapter 11, the word scourge comes up. In chapter 11, the word scourge comes up, which starts with verse 36. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. We know that to be a fact. You can read Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can look at how the apostles died. All of them received terrible deaths, scourgings, torture, punishment, death. Okay? Think God scourges us? The point is that scourging is inflicting great punishment, whipping, driving forth with a whip. That's not how God treats his people. It talks here about how a father disciplines his son. We'll throw in jail a father that pulls out a whip and beats his son. The idea of as a father disciplines his son is to bring about correction. Okay? The goal is correction. The goal is not wealth. Okay? A father chastises, brings into correction. He doesn't pull out a whip and he's not the father because he's bigger than you can beat you up. That's not the point. God is not giving you discipline to show you that he can beat you up. That's not what he does. Right. However, he corrects us. Well, that's In a loving point. manner like a father that loves his children would do. Right. You don't start off knocking the kid's block off. You Step by step, you take it up 
until you can reach the point where the child understands it, right. or just stops, or gives up their will. Right. You don't start off by breaking their legs. So who scourges? Men scourge. Men kill these apostles and disciples after torturing them, scourging them. They died. Men did this. Scourging is a form of hatred, because it doesn't serve any purpose other than to leave marks. Yep. Okay? Scourging is not the way of God. It's just not the way it's done. When God goes to kill an enemy, he doesn't sit around and torture him. He tells you to kill him. Right. Okay, so there's a difference. There's a, God has a much more humane way right. of doing things than what, what man does. Men, men will sit there and cut off your big toes and make you walk around through life. Yeah. God doesn't do that. If he's going to kill you, he's going to kill you. Right. Plain and simple. Yeah. Just notate that in chapter 12 now, you will never see the word scourge come up. Okay? Not when you're talking about God. It's unfortunate that whoever... Um, inputted this into these Bibles, uh, italicizes and then quotes a, a chapter and verses in the Bible which doesn't even say that line. The line that they added was, verse 6, and scourges every son whom he receives. From this point on, we do not see the word scourge. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten. And it's true. Parenting, you have any experience in parenting, you love your child, okay? Chaste, the word chaste is to be pure from sexual immorality. Okay? Chastening is to correct, as you said, Pat. Or the dictionary also had purify and prune as synonyms, which I think are really, really yeah. fitting. Yeah, because as we go through, as you watch your child go through life, they're, they're going to make mistakes. You've made mistakes. You understand that. You want to correct them. You're going to do that. You're you also, going. It's not just correct. You want to teach. Right. The NIV has to endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by the father? Yeah. You have a child. You have a son. You also have a, an older son and a younger son. The older son sees the younger son doing something wrong, so he goes up there and he beats on him. The father steps out and goes, no, you can't do that. He's younger than you. Right. You correct. You discipline. Okay? You don't pull a whip out and you whip the child for it. Yeah. You don't start off that way. It's not scourging. Yeah. It's like you love your child. You take them along this path. Right. Step by step to, to bring about desired results. Not, not to hurt them. Now, looking in that context, knowing the difference of these words, that's what we do in, as we walk in faith. It tells you that there will be times of correction when God will correct what's going on through discipline. Does it say happy discipline? Discipline, at the time, you might not understand why you're being corrected. It's for your own good, and you might think it's a difficult time. Funny how we see after that point, we understand after going through that, we look back on it and see that it was a good thing. But at the time, it's a bad thing. We'll have those experiences. One other point that's done there is notice that when you're disciplined as a child and you go through that part that you don't like, how many of those items are exactly what you bring about to your kids? Yeah. Those are the lessons that you really drive home to bring out to your kids because you learn that lesson through the discipline. Right. You know, don't hit your brother. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's those lessons there. You, you learn the lesson. And those are the ones you bring about to your children. But no, you can't do that. I love you, but you cannot do that. Right. Okay, because you've learned that lesson. 
Verse 8, but if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not son. Notice it was somebody else's child. They picked their nose in front of you in the grocery store. They're not your child. You don't say anything. They never learn. They're, they're not your son. You don't teach them anything. You just ignore them and laugh at them as you walk by. Right. Those are not sons. I want to reinforce the thing with the illegitimacy and sons. What are those factors of family? And that's what we are with Christ. Family. That kinsmanship. Right. It's not marrying a wife. It's not acquaintances. It's not your best friend. It's family. It's a different, big different. Your best friends, you like them because you get along with them. Your family, you love them with their faults. Right. You know, they're, they're my younger brother's wrong, but he's my younger brother. There's a big difference in that. Verse 9, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not be more readily in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? We've had human fathers. We've given them the respect. You know, respect your father or mother. Well, how many of us respect God in that? You know, it's interesting as I've gone through my walk in faith, it's not, fear is a bad word to use, but I do have a respect for the father, for God. It's like the older brother, as I always say, older brother, Christ to me is an older brother who's there to help me along, correct me, and someone I can talk to, look up to, who's smarter, more experienced, knows the path, knows the way. This part about, should we respect God, should we submit to Him? You submit to authority. But if you look at your family, you submit to your father because he's your father at one point, but there also reaches a time in the family course of life where you submit to your father because he is your father. When, when you're watching the lessons take place of lessons you've already learned, and you can go back now and see the benefit, that's where the respect for the father comes in. You don't, you don't appreciate it while you're going through the hardship. But when you miss the punishment the next time because you've already learned the lesson, that's where the respect starts coming in. Right. Just like as if Christ teaches you the word, shows miracles in your life, uh, shows you that grace, it's beyond, you're not at the point anymore of finding out this is real or not. Now you have tons of examples in your life that have seen you through it that gives you that respect. It's proven to you. Yes. You know, that's faith grown up. Right. That's mature faith. Right. That's mature respect. Maybe at first it's submit, but at the end of it, it's mature respect. Abraham at the end didn't submit to God. He followed God. Right. God said, move to the left, and he goes, how far? Yeah. Tell me when to stop. Just like how we are. You think you can turn your back on, on the word now? No. Can't. No. It'll eat at you to the point, I mean, what, it lasts what, a day or two if you try turning your back because you're well, stressed is, out or you're not giving it over to him, your will? First part is you don't even want to anymore. Yeah. It's respect, you, though. You get for angry when you don't get enough time in it. Exactly. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us, as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Here when they're talking about for a little while, they're talking about our fathers discipline us through childhood to prepare us for this lifetime. Where God disciplines us for our whole lifetime to prepare us for eternity. 
Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The NRV says that a little different. No discipline seems to be pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And I was bringing up my last point uh, that I said earlier. It's, we have that in our own lives. You don't want to go through these trials. You don't want to go through these corrections that the Father is seeing you through. He is, is Jesus the author and finisher of your faith or not? If he is, we know that there's going to be these trials. I've never liked having those corrections. But when you go through time in your life, you're looking back at that point. You understand it. You come to peace and you know you've learned. You've been corrected. Let's face it. When we were growing up, nobody wanted to get up and go to school. Okay, and yet we needed school to get through this. Okay, we go through life. Nobody wants to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and go to work. Yet you got to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning if you want to get off at 5 to go do what you want to do. Same thing here. We go through these little lessons because they're achieving what we want in the future as well. And it's what's better for us. You know, you set out to know truth. You set out to understand what faith means, what it means to be a Christian. Well, either you're setting out to really know or you're pretending that you know. Because when you set out to really know, I'm telling you, you're going to be corrected. You're going to have those trials. And it's going to be a, a painful experience. But you're well rewarded in looking back on it and knowing that one day we inherit the kingdom. Verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Kind of a strange way of putting it, but it's like, you're going to go through these disciplined times. Take the lessons. As you go through each trial in life, realize God's there with you. Okay, go through it, and instead of looking so much at your problem, keep looking up. Disabled feet, disabled arms, you're weak and stuff like this. Well, your arms and your feet, they're not your strength anyway. He's your strength. Look up. You might have to disengage from your physical life a little bit in order to get this to the point where you look up to him. That can be a difficult thing at times of real trial when it seems like everything's going wrong, evil attacks, it's, it's painful, and that pain keeps you from looking up. You You know it, you will come back to it, I'm telling you, you can't turn your back on this. You will come to the point where peace will return You'll understand what that was all about. The sooner you give it over to him, the sooner you'll get to the end of it. The more you get in the way, the longer it's going to take. And you get more discipline, right? You're going to be disciplined to the point of coming to the end of the project. Right. You're stinking thinking, right? You're going to solve it. Verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, when you're pursuing peace with all men, remember what you're pursuing with. Are you pursuing peace with your body? No, you're producing it with your soul and your spirit. Okay? Because the flesh is going to sin. Their flesh sinned. Your flesh is going to sin back. If you get past that point and move on, then you can love your... You can't love your fellow man until you love God. Because you don't know what it is. You can't pursue with peace... Okay, 
because peace is not in your agenda if they if they keep sinning against you. Right. If you move past that point as to what's going on, then you can move towards peace. Right. Verse 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And that's interesting, bitterness, I mean, that's resentment, it's anger. Yeah. It drives, it, it takes a bad situation, your stinking thinking gets in the way, and what happens? Now you really derailed it. It's, it's you getting involved in these times where the grace can't exist with pride. Your pride comes from you. The way you're going to run your life, you're not going to take it anymore. You're not a doormat. You're going to put an end to this. Well, you listen to that, that's you running the show. Grace can't exist in that environment. And bitterness is usually what springs that off. What well, has to. Yeah. If you're not doing it, if you're not doing it God's way, it's the only thing that's left. Right. Okay. My way is right. Your way is right. I've never been right. You've never been right. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. If you keep doing it on this physical plane that we keep talking about, you're not going to come up with a solution. You know? 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, for who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Verse 16. The NIV has a little bit different. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Selling his birthrights for the meal, he sold his eternal rights for the physical. But the sexually immoral, that's, that's a whole different story too. Sexually immoral is chastening. Chastening is to be sexually pure. Okay, and in this particular context, it's like the sexual immorality is more of what's God's and what's of the world. Esau sold his heavenly rewards or earthly rewards. That's in the context of what's sexually immoral here. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now notice on this that we're talking about after he sold off heaven or earth, he sought heaven again. But if you didn't seek it after, after the decision is made, which is your lifetime, after your lifetime, you can't go to God and go please. Right. You have your lifetime to make your decision. Okay? Esau could have had the bowl of soup. He could have had his birthrights. He could have beat up his brother and said, no, give me the soup. Right. He traded it off. It was his choice to trade it off. Yeah. He could have gone to his wife. He could have fixed his own food. Okay. Continuing with verse 18, we'll go through to verse 21 and recap all of that because it, it all goes together. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. This is the part of how it was to come to God in the Old Testament. You had it, all you had back there was going through the law. It was perfection or death. 
It's also talking about the mountain that the I Am spoke to Moses. Well, first it starts off with the mountain with the burning fire. Burning bush. Okay. That's the only one that got to go there was Moses, a chosen substitute for the people. Right. The people couldn't go there. Anyone went up there, you know, they were going to die. That trumpet blast, that speaking the words that makes people fall down at its sight, the part of that mountain where even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The, the word uh, that begged them that should not be spoken is the Jewish YHVH, the unspeakable name of God. Now, have. see, that, even that's not even true here. Because every time that when an angel appeared, okay, as they confronted an angel, the angel just terrified them. Everybody who sees an angel just falls down. Who do you see in the Old Testament that's got an angel that stands up to it? There's only one example of that, and that's Jacob. The blessed man, the Moses-type man, the representative for man that can, that can talk to God. But everybody else falls down. Even an animal, even the innocence of an animal, if it's not the one that God has chosen, is going to be stoned to death. And it was so terrifying that when, when Moses talked to the burning bush, he trembled with fear as God talked to him. He was the chosen one and he felt the fear. Okay? It's not just the I am though, it's, it's, it's dealing with God. Once Adam and Eve broke that line, any dealing with God is, is fear and trembling, unless you're that chosen person. We'll move on to verse 22 and go through 24, which again goes together, showing the difference here. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. These verses in here are talking about a new covenant. It's, it's the times of Jesus through the New Testament. Now you can go directly to Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can go directly to God, where God lives in this heavenly realm. The thousands and thousands of angels reside there in heaven. It's a joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, here we're talking about that, that wedding feast that is taking place up there where we're up there with the angels. You have come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Not that the men are righteous, but they have been perfected through this coming to Jesus. They're reborn. That body part is gone. The soul and spirit are now spirit like God. This is that kinsmanship. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The new covenant is dying to the physical, being reborn into the spirit with him. It's the spirit accepting his perfection. Because these righteous men have no body of perfection. So the new covenant is the spirit joining, the soul joining the spirit. And the sprinkled of blood, it's his blood. Okay? When we turn around here and look at the blood of Abel, Abel was unjustly slain. But Abel was a sinner nonetheless. Though he was unjustly slain, it's what was going to happen to all mankind anyway. A couple points here also. Jesus the mediator, verse 24. Do you see anywhere else in the Bible that someone else is made 
mediator capitalized as a title. His mediator is capitalized. You don't see saints' names. You don't see Mary's name. You see Jesus the mediator. For you'll know the Father through me. Jesus is the one that we know the Father through. Well, he's not only the mediator. He is the new covenant. That's yeah, a different point, but I just want to only look at the mediator point. Uh-huh. The sprinkling of the blood is better than Abel. I mean, this is the Son of God that was sacrificed. This is the person that's come, Son of God that sacrificed. Of course, it's better than Abel. It's the only true sacrifice to be given for all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Well, it's not that because, is the new covenant. It's not because he's the Son of God. It's because he's perfect. Well, the Son of God is perfect. Ah, but the Son of God is not camp. Well, you said the Son of God. It's not the Son of God that saves you. Jesus is the Son of God. That's all my point is. Well, the Son of God did not die for you. Okay. The Son of Man died for you. They're the same, but they're different. Yeah, you see, I don't agree with that. 100% man, 100% God. Dude. Jesus, Son of God, stayed in heaven. You don't go to heaven. If Jesus, Son of God, dies, it doesn't do you a bit of good. It doesn't do you a bit of good. That's not a sacrifice for you. That's why an animal isn't good enough for you. That's why a heavenly Jesus isn't good enough for you. Not what I meant. So you have to finish that by Son of God, Son of Man. Right. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks in heaven. I got a, a three-part thing from this, kind of coming through all of creation of time. In John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus who spoke the world into existence. So the first part of verse 25, we're getting the beginning of time. And then if they don't, did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, that's Jesus on earth as a man, and they didn't listen to him. How much more shall we not escape the resurrected Christ now in heaven? So we're talking about Jesus through this whole thing. Just driving the point home that he he is our savior and he is. It's comforting to know. I mean, he's resurrected. It's comforting to know he still speaks. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's gone on vacation. And we need a magisterium to step in its place. You know, like some of the churches believe, Roman Catholic Church, that they have to take over. It still speaks to all of us. Church, no church. You walk in your life. He's there. Mm -hmm. We have that experience all through time beginning yep. to present all and the way future. through the end and future yep verse 26 whose voice then shook the earth but now he has promised saying yet once more i shake not only the earth but also heaven once more again it shall happen new heaven new earth well let's go back to at this time he shook the earth when jesus died the veil is ripped mm -hmm. the world's screams out as it thunders and lightnings and the, there's earthquakes. That's the first time. The second time is here at the end. 27. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, the physical things are the things that have been made. Those are the things that can be shaken, broken down in that. The things, like in our case, where the soul is joined to the spirit, that's a gift from God. That's the image of God, Adam's soul, joined to the spirit. Those are things that cannot be shaken. Once you're in that realm, 
the physical world shaking isn't going to affect them. And if you don't have that born-again spirit, you're going to be shaken. Yeah. Shaken off the is a, something I would say is, you're not shaking, you're shaking off. Get off. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. Verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is a kingdom that is not of a physical world. Let us be thankful so to worship God. You can't worship Him in a physical sense. You have to worship Him in a spiritual sense. Acceptable with reverence and awe because we can't offer ourselves in spirit. It was a gift to us. There's nothing we can bring to the table for this. For God is a consuming fire when he went up on the mountain. Anything in the physical can be burned. Okay, If it's hot enough, you can burn lead. You can burn iron. You can evaporate water. Yeah. The reason I bring that, John the Baptist, what does he say? I baptize you with water, but one's going to be coming that's greater than I who baptize with fire. That's going to be the test for everything. Things that are physical, straw, stubble, hay, brick, mortar, I mean, those things are all going to be burned up. Yeah. The things that are a spirit, they, they can't be burned. It's a consuming fire. It's not part of you. It's not one leg in the fire and the rest outside the physical. It's consuming all of you. Because that whole spirit, it's not part of your spirit going up to heaven. It's you. Your body's left here. It's all consuming. This isn't talking about hell. It's going back to that fire baptism. Yeah. This receiving of, this isn't some fearful statement that God's going to consume you with fire. And you're going to erupt in flames. Some people have heard taking that. It has nothing to do with the physicals. We're talking about the spiritual fire baptism. Well, this is a good point. Remember that verse that talks about your works will see. It's going to be tested with fire. Yeah. Okay. So any works you've done that's been done through the physical body of what you're able to do through the physical, it's all going to get burned up. Anything you've done. You helped the old lady cross the street. You built churches. You went on missionary trips. All this stuff that you've done in the physical, it's all getting burned up. Only thing that remains is that of the Spirit which God has done through you. Nothing you've done. This is something about you know, chastening. You've got people here doing this podcast that are well aware of what that means. And you're not alone. Okay, It's something that we walk together. And I think it's kind of a comforting chapter. It's comforting to know Jesus still speaks to us. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. So those are comforting thoughts. There is a plan of action, being one of his sheep. We know the shepherd, we're one of his sheep. There's a plan in action for you. And it's his plan. It's his plan. Can I mess up his plan? Right. No. Your job is to keep following. Exactly. Verse 24 has a couple of interesting points I have uh, that I, I need to stress is, Jesus the mediator, and then it's of the new covenant. First, I'm going to take Jesus the mediator. This is one of two places in the New Testament that clearly speaks Jesus being the mediator. It's not Mary, it's not any of the saints, it's not anyone else but Jesus. Reason is Timothy speaks of it, I believe, right, Pat? Yes. And of the new covenant, what makes Jesus 
the mediator between God and us in this new covenant. That's a very important point to make. There's a couple things on this. One, Jesus is two things in one. He's the Son of God, thus, that represent representation to God. Mm -hmm. Two, he's the Son of Man. Right. Okay? No other person is the son or daughter of God. Right. No one else can reach God. Right. Okay? And no one else up in the heavens can reach down to earth and be kin to man. Yeah. He's the only one. No one else could claim that. No it, one else did claim it. Well, it, it's like the book we talked about with John 3.16 where, you know, doing the numbers of that. Three being Christ equals God-man. It, it's the only one who does that. Right. The new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling, sprinkling, that blood was a sacrifice, blood sacrifice in place of sin, sprinkling of the blood on the uh, the uh, in the temple sacrifice, you sprinkle the mercy seat. Well, it, it's that sprinkling of blood too. Notice how it had to keep being redone and redone. Right. Because it's not a kinned up sacrifice. Exactly. An animal has nothing to do with God. Right. Right. Okay, an animal has nothing to do with man other than it represents what's supposed to take place. Okay. It's it's gotta reach God, it's gotta reach man. It's the only way to do it. And we know it's of course the ultimate once and for all sacrifice that Jesus did. But the uh, writer of Hebrews emphasizes it speaks better things than that of Abel. He brings up Abel for a good reason, too. Well, Abel is brought up as an unjust death. Right. Abel had an unjust death. However, Abel doesn't reach you back to God. He still, Abel doesn't get you back there. It's unjust. Right. Abel's deserving. But Abel's a sinner. But Abel's a sinner. Yeah. You know, though he wasn't justified in that death, he is justified of death. Right. And that concludes our study on Hebrews chapter 12. Join us next time while we close up the book of Hebrews with chapter 13.